I V M. Hello, hello. We're Team Splainer. Welcome to an all-new episode of Press Decode, a weekly podcast where we take Splainer's mission to declutter the news one step further. Check out our newsletter for more stories, and we've got a one-month free trial for you in our show notes. So don't forget to take us for a free spin. But for now, sit back, relax, and don't let the news give you the blues. I'm Prafula, your host for the day, and we have a full house today with both Sara and Vakta. As always, we have three segments for you. In our big story, we're looking at the porn websites like Pornhub and their relationship with non-consensual videos. For the food for thought segment, we're talking about how India became a hub for the illegal wildlife trade. And then in our final segment, we will be roasting and toasting our fave and least fave items. Before we begin with our big story, we want to tell our listeners that this story contains mentions of sexual exploitation and child abuse and pornography. So tread with caution. Last week, uh, the New Yorker magazine published an article that talked about one of the many horrors of being a young woman online. And the author of this piece basically spoke to several young women who had been pressured or blackmailed into sharing explicit images and videos of themselves by strangers online. These videos and images later ended up on big name porn sites like Pornhub. An important side note here is that almost all of these women are still or were at the time of these incidents minors. And one of the primary interviewees in the New Yorker story, if you want to go and read it, was around 14 to 15 years old when her pictures were circulated. And the worst part of this is that the website required these young girls to fill out request the removal of their videos and images off the website. And obviously, this took a great deal out of their mental well-being. But despite all of this, there was no guarantee that the videos or images would be taken down. There's been several fallouts. One directly for the company has been that the article came out on June 13th. And the CEO and COO of Pornhub resigned on the 21st on Tuesday. Although they did say it was for unrelated reasons. They did not give a reason why. And also, soon after the New York article was published, porn star Sherry DeVille published an article in the Daily Beast. And she called out the reporting that uh, the way the reporting dealt with certain groups and activists that were involved and helped these some of these victims seek legal action. These groups were anti-trafficking groups and these were almost always religious and aligned with right-wing Christian ideals. And their underlying goal, Deville argues in her piece, is that it is less to actually deal with the circulation of these non-consensual videos of minors, might I add, or even help the victims and more about using these examples to try and abolish the porn industry itself. So the New York article argues that Pornhub, like other tech companies, ignores requests to remove this content that is flagged as either child porn or non-consensual videos since they profit from these videos, right? And uh, like Facebook, Pornhub uses Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996 to argue that as an interactive computer service, they cannot be treated as a publisher of the information since it's been provided by a third party. On the other hand, DeVille argues that Facebook, Google, Snapchat, TikTok, and a bunch of other social platforms host way more child pornography than websites like Pornhub, RedTube, and YouPorn combined. So, 
that does beg the question is this a pornhub problem is this a porn industry problem or is this something else entirely lots of questions there i think well let's start with understanding that there is a legal porn industry and then there's the illegal porn industry which could also mean many different things because some countries prohibit the production and distribution of porn but not the possession or the act of consuming porn some countries mm. allow it all but have some regulations on the kind of porn it is prohibiting violent porn or homosexual content some just have regulations on the way it is displayed in distribution outlets making sure that you know children don't see it but otherwise it's allowed mm. so there's all kinds of regulation there and in most cases the laws are vague and the enforcement is lax but the one thing that is pretty much common throughout the world is the prohibition of child pornography and the enforcement of that is also way stricter in most parts of the world as compared to other pornography related regulations so that's one the other huge issue in the porn industry is non consensual porn even in countries that allow production distribution and consumption of porn face this issue like pornhub mm-hmm. Lots of reports have come out in recent years related to Pornhub not doing enough to counter the non-consensual content that they've let people upload. But over the years, they say they've made efforts to remove unverified videos, and now the company requires identity and age verification before videos go live. But then there are also reports of verified videos later turning out to be non-consensual. So. how do you know and also that it's just not a porn hub problem it is of the porn industry itself how do these websites get consent verification because there's all kinds of ways that content verification happens you know there's no regulation for it it could be anything from taking a photo with a username written on a body part to also to taking a photo with a driver's license to signing contracts and then someone might be asking you to film a short video saying you do consent so there are all kinds of ways in which consent is being given but how do you know that it's given before shooting or after shooting whether it's given with coercion or without coercion and stuff like that you know and in whose interest is it to remove non consensual content certainly not the websites because they profit out of it and this is the more established bigger legal sites and there are countless other tube sites that have all kinds of non consensual pornographic content which has no accounting for and as consumers also even if you go to like an ethical porn website how do you confirm that the consent that they've got is actual consent i mean if i just put it on my website are you just going to believe me what is the way in which we can check as consumers that consent was actually fairly given you know and the thing is we see most reports of non consensual porn coming out of the west because the industry is more organized and legal there and there is an entity to blame also it's more visible hmm. as pornhub you can go to it you can ask a company and sue it as opposed to these fringe yeah. websites that come and go and you know have your content on them where do you go and it's good to know for context and that pinch of salt that the organization fighting in this case is some christian evangelical group and that its larger aim might be to shut down the legal porn industry but let's remember that pornhub is not the enemy but it also did not do what it said it says that it's been taking yeah. down verified so it is important to call that out too in let's not go just get into oh what about the other websites oh but what about why didn't you call those out yes let's call them out but it's harder to call them out for reasons and you're making legitimate profits out of 
abusive content so you definitely need to be called out no i agree like in terms of like consent itself is like such a gray territory and then when you have at least one visible entity i think it's only fair to ask for accountability yeah but you know the other part of this is you know i'm thinking is porn even legal in india and where do we stand so yeah we're sitting here complaining about porn hub and a legal porn industry and look at us <laughs> where are we exactly <laughs> so i honestly you know every time someone asks me i don't actually know so this time i sat down and i was like i am going to find out properly what is up here's where we are at basically while on the one hand viewing sexually explicit material in private spaces is not illegal the supreme court had in july 2015 also orally said that it cannot stop an adult from exercising his fundamental right to personal liberty to watch porn within the privacy of his room okay mm. so watching is mm-hmm. okay we were a okay with that But on the other hand there's the IT Act of 2000 which makes it illegal to publish or transmit obscene material or material containing sexually explicit acts in electronic forms so you can't publish transmit or spread porn and the punishment for this is a jail term of 5 years or a rupees 10 lakh fine this law on paper also brings in the concept of consent considering a section of the act punishes anyone violating the privacy of another with a punishment of 3 years or a fine of a maximum of rupees 2 lakh in case they intentionally or knowingly capture publish or transmit the image of a private area of any person without his or her consent oh this is gender neutral yes this one was gender neutral mm. okay additionally sharing links to pornographic movies on any social media platform including whatsapp facebook instagram telegram all of that even in private messages is unlawful and add to this the fact that the indian administration has as of 2020 banned over 3500 porn websites so while getting into the law i also found some other interesting tidbits about where we are so i'm going to bring that in as well a 2013 amendment also highlights that showing porn to a woman without her consent counts as sexual harassment this is not a gender neutral provision it only, mm. any man above the age of 18 you can apparently show porn at will Then there's the Boxo Act of 2012 which makes like you said publication transmission possession anything of child porn illegal like so in most countries so the child porn bit aside technically what i've understood is the law says go ahead and watch porn in your own room don't force any woman to watch it but finding porn is your personal problem i mean karnataka mla seem to find it without no problem <laughs> Clearly, the law makes sense to some people. <laughs> for the others, for us normal people, the dodgy legality aside, apparently Indians are also watching porn. And Pornhub data from 2018 shows that India ranked third in the world in terms of consumption. So that isn't the problem. Like we said, Pornhub isn't the enemy. Porn isn't the enemy. But this, in turn, also means that India too is victim to the big problem of revenge and non-consensual porn. and i don't think that comes as a very big surprise to us but because of the gray area of the legality we were like oh but this isn't a problem that we necessarily need to concern ourselves with but here we do so as we all know the revenge porn is very much existent it is technically not a crime in that there is no law specifically targeting the practice because they've banned the concept of making porn at all so revenge porn falls into that and thus all those people who are accused are just punished under laws relating to voyeurism and non-consensual acts and mm. much like the rest of the world in case you find yourself as a victim of these videos 
op images it, the burden lies on the victim to find the violative content which in the internet era is impossible and then get court orders to have them removed so our law is clearly woefully inadequate and we don't seem to be doing very much because from what i've read the infamous dps mms scandal which was back in 2004 led to bans and stricter norms about mobile phones in school and not actual legal change again we're not choosing right. and picking our enemies right <laughs> we've also not progressed very much from 2004 sadly on that uh, very dull bleak note we come to the end of our first segment We will be right back after a short break. You are listening to Press Decode on the IBM Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Press Decode on the IBM Podcast Network. We're Team Splainer and in today's Food for Thought, we're talking about the illegal trade of exotic wildlife in India. So a new story about wildlife trade can't not have a bizarre angle to it. But I think this particular one takes the cake. In April locals in Siliguri West Bengal came across kangaroos wandering close to a highway and they soon found another one in a forest close by and these are very much kangaroos that are not native to India that kind obviously this has become a source of great amusement for me personally but here's the thing a total of 5 kangaroos were found in India this year over the span of 2 months And there was another incident last year where a kangaroo was found among an illegal shipment of sorts of exotic birds and other wildlife. So, according to some theories floating around, the animals were brought here for some form of animal testing. To which I say, why kangaroos? The other more plausible reason was that they are being brought here for some rich person to keep as pets. to which i say why would you get a pet that could round house kick you into another dimension altogether profula <laughs> is asking all the pertinent questions <laughs> like screw the fact that they shouldn't be here to begin with Very i mean important. they're here they're already here now where are you going to put them and where are you going to put them where they don't hit you man they're notorious for punching <laughs> people in the face <laughs> valid valid questions The most baffling thing is the truth of it all. The reason why they're here. At least one of these three kangaroos was bought by a municipal zoo in Indore, and the smugglers then had a purchase order from the zoo to prove that they weren't fibbing. The animal was sourced from a animal farm in Mizoram, and all these connections just insane to me. And this animal farm also has apparently experience with sending out exotic animals and birds to different zoos. <laughs> yeah, you have no idea where this is going. They start with five kangaroos, and it's just twists and turns and twists and turns. So first they say Mizoram, then they say it's actually not Mizoram; it's like Sri Lanka. Then कुछ भी चल रहा है. Yeah, I've clearly not done enough justice, but we don't even have time to get into all of that. So definitely read this expose on the zoo. Look, it's no secret that there is poaching and animal smuggling rings in the country. The most common animal or animal products that are smuggled from India include ivory turtles, tortoises, rhino horns, tiger pads. But apparently, we have a thriving market for exotic wildlife also, and we're in the top twenty countries in the world to do so, and for good reason. About seventy thousand native and exotic animals and their derivatives were trafficked through eighteen Indian airports between two thousand eleven and twenty twenty, and there are at least twenty five markets that trade in live wild animals, including Mumbai, Bangalore, Hyderabad, and Patna. In June twenty twenty, 
the indian government invited citizens to disclose ownership of foreign animals or plant species that they may have and they received over 32000 applications from people in 25 states and five union territories obviously this is just to people who have reported it so imagine how many people actually have things like kangaroos and snakes and what not as pets and the discovery of these illegal immigrants from sri lanka or from down under wherever they've come from or mizoram have sparked some questions about wildlife trade in india and i guess more specifically how did we become such a hub for legal trade and what is legal and what isn't legal yes let's start with what's legal and what's not legal speaking of exotic pets and stuff India has had a pretty long standing tradition of recreational hunting. Mm. Nearly all royal palace yeah. museums I have been to have taxidermy animals on display and someone in Bollywood. Yeah? Engages oh. I don't know about taxidermy but engages in recreational hunting in a very famous oh, infamous yes. case. <laughs> Yes. I am yes. ashamed at how long just... it took me to get that. No because I was thinking of taxidermy Guys. animals. I have not been to any of their houses to know who has <laughs> taxidermy animals. The, and the effects of this long standing tradition <laughs> are clearly visible in our wildlife numbers or numbers of extinction. But that long tradition came to an end as better sense prevailed after the international community that is the UN mobilized efforts for conservation of endangered wildlife and following which the parliament of india passed the wildlife protection act 1972 under which it banned hunting for sport or recreational hunting now this hunting is banned but the only other hunting that can be carried out is for specified purposes to prevent crop damage to counter vermin species and for scientific or educational reasons so no hunting for sport but here is what is very interesting india allows you to bring your hunting trophies from other countries into india so say someone shot a lion in africa they might want to have that lion skin hanging in their drawing room wall in say chandigarh i'm yes, saying chandigarh not chosen yes city. i'm not like shaming chandigarh it's only because i read a case of a guy who shot an african lion and wanted to bring it back to chandigarh and went like pillar to post to try to get that you know Thing. As long as it's not the two South Indians saying Chandigarh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm totally from there, almost. Anyway, so yeah. First of all, there are countries that allow recreational hunting, especially countries in Africa, which allow big game to be shot for loads of money that basically people in the developed world pay to do. And African countries say this is good for them because the money they get supports livelihoods and nature conservation. And this is actually a pretty the polarizing debate uh, but we'll bank it for another day yeah so yes coming to that most interesting part india allows you to bring back trophies and trade them but so long as they don't look like indian species because then that ends up threatening our own wildlife the logic is that without this the trophy trade then ends up fueling hunting in india itself because it'll be hard for you to know which one is an asiatic lion and which one is an african lion they actually do look alike down yeah. to earth has a list of many of these look alike species that aren't allowed for trophy trading in india which includes the african lion and the african civet which looks a lot like the indian civet so that's it and that's actually the reason why that man in chandigarh almost a decade ago was not able to bring his african lion trophy back i mean he, i don't know if he was able to what i read was that he went from one court to another writing for all kinds of important permissions because right around that time the government had come out with this thing or oh, look alike are not allowed 
for trophy what tiger. a weird hill to die on i want lion in my living room and surprisingly his own daughter was like i don't support killing animals <laughs> nice yes very nice so but i think another problem here is like with rules even like this i read that it can be really hard to identify a species like simply from a photo because like you said they do look similar and this is in a case where if the correct photo is used at all where if you must use incorrect photos for people to animals to dur ki baat oh yes oh my god remember when nelson mandela died everyone was using morgan freeman photos oh my god <laughs> rip but that was hilarious so i mean i see where the problems are but beyond these specific tactics that are used misused much like everything else in the world like the porn industry even the wildlife trafficking industry has been hit by the internet boom in a good way for the smugglers and in a horrific way for law enforcement on the one hand the industry now has a wide wide market which spans like all across the world the ever evolving online space allows like wildlife traffickers to build a wide ranging virtual marketplace where chances of detection are low and profits are incredibly high I found reports that basically said that something as simple as YouTube comments have led to some of the biggest wildlife raids over the last year. Can you imagine looking at YouTube comments as like a likely place for a flourishing illegal industry? Hmm. There's innovation and dedication here. I got to give that to them. Hmm. And this is over and above the websites that sell animal parts like dried monitor lizard genitals but pass it off as rare plants. What? bought for superstitious reasons apparently but besides that the industry is clearly rampant and just between 2018 and 2021 around 11.6 million adverts have been taken down so the internet clearly worked well for the smugglers but the flip side is obviously for law enforcement the problem is quite simple the internet covers so many species so many different products and so many different platforms that is impossible to take stock of if you eliminate wildlife trafficking on one platform traffickers will simply jump to another and clearly they're innovative enough to go to even youtube comments and figure out a system to further complicate the matter many of the products sold on the internet are actually fake So authenticating it also becomes tricky because they can't punish you selling fake animal products. Imagine putting all your time and effort to nab a criminal when he's simply scamming an unwitting buyer. I mean, I'm convinced this is probably one of the only times that scamming someone puts you on the right side of the law. But you're not on the right side of the law. You're still going in for cheating. No, but technically you're not supposed to, the buyer will get into more trouble for wanting to buy it. No, the, it doesn't matter whether you are selling whatever you're selling is legal or not. You're still cheating and you're going to go to jail for that. Ah, the more okay, you know. Okay, then apparently it goes into the jurisdiction of other people because the law enforcement dudes I read about were like, "Well, that's not my business." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe they were only looking so, for I don't know. Maybe they were not concerned. Fair. Cheating is also a smaller offense. So Fair, that makes sense, you know. That logically makes sense. Imagine these guys saying, "Ah, oh, no, my business. <laughs> you are, you have a problem. Go figure it out." <laughs> I think he's okay. And to add to all this, if all of this wasn't enough, India, in specific, is growing to become an important hub, like Prafulla pointed out. And one of the most important reasons is the country's fast-expanding airport sector. In case you did not know, I didn't know the number of airports in the country increased from fifty. Two hundred and twenty-seven in just a decade between two thousand nine and two thousand nineteen, 
And this includes 23 international airports. So all of this put together, India is currently in the top 10 countries for animals trafficked via air traffic. And the most popular airports are apparently Chennai and Mumbai. And basically how the air tra- like air trafficking works is this is used for the more expensive but smaller shipments of wildlife because there is a lot of high value that comes with it. They don't want to make them do long distances and, you know, fear and risk that they can die. The species are hidden in plastic boxes and bottles in hand baggage, check baggage or air cargo. So I'm just saying... Next time you're flying anywhere in the country, make sure you take a good look at your co-passenger. They might just have a tarantula on them. That is just delightful to hear. That is so delightful to hear. Always here for the delight, guys. Thanks, Sarah. On that note, we come to the end of this segment. We will be back after a short break. You are listening to Press Decode on the IBM Podcast Network. Welcome back to Press Decode on the IVM Podcast Network. It's time for our final segment this week, Roast or Toast. Take it away, guys. I don't have a least fave this week. I have a least fave. I am here in the unhappy valley today and talking of flying anywhere in the country. Some guy Mm -hmm. won an award for designing the worst airplane seat possible. First of all, air travel. If I could avoid traveling by air, I would choose to do that every time. Not that I'm a frequent flyer. The total number of flights I've taken in this year are three, which is not much. How did you take three flights? Did you not reach back to where you started? (laughs) What is this weird number? But I took a direct flight while going and I took two connecting flights while coming back. Now, air travel is endured, not enjoyed. And yet this man has designed the chaise long airplane seat. Now, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but who cares because it's the shittiest seat for economy travel. (laughs) I mean, airplane economy is already pretty shitty. And then this is coming from someone who is like pretty small in size, both in height and in width. This man has basically made a double-decker seat in the space of, say, a first-class seat. So you have to fully slide under someone else's seat to sit and he's already in talks with some big airline companies so if you don't have claustrophobia of getting into planes yet you will now forget that dude my legs have just fallen asleep listening to this arrangement <laughs> like i barely get enough leg space as is when i'm traveling in economy this is just horrifying adding to the tarantulas yeah. yes so mm. air travel is a no go after this episode anyway I have an ambiguous item. It's neither fave nor least fave. Just sheer bewilderment at this point. The Madhya Pradesh government in... I can't stop laughing only because... What a delightful item. Uh, The Madhya Pradesh government in classic masterstroke style that is just very popular these days decided that the solution to end illegal mining was to make it legal in parts of the Jumble Sanctuary. (laughs) Correct. You heard it right. (laughs) Simple solutions to complex problems. Oh, it's difficult to catch people doing illegal shit. No worries. I got you. Just gonna quickly make it all legal. Boom. Done. Solution found. That's governance 101 according to the MPs and MP. And I'm not exaggerating here. Basically, the government found that its forest officials, forest officials were spending too much time and effort on unsuccessfully fighting illegal sand mining that they decided to simply open 292 hectares in the Trumbull and five different spots where it will now be legal. 
And this is supposed to minimize conflict with illegal miners, gain local support and fetch revenue from royalty, one fourth of which could be used to strengthen protection measures. So very similar to the whole African trophy hunting logic where they're saying thoda chalega because then actually we will conserve at the end of it. Hmm. Make of this what you will. Hmm. Well, but this kind of strategy is used elsewhere also. You know, it's like in other places also. I'm not talking about mining itself, but like in other situations where you're unable to control something that will occur, you just legalize it and regulate it. I don't know how. It's not always a great thing to do, but it works a lot of times. At least you're not spending all your resources on then. Yeah, because it's happening the anyway, anyway, and then. Yeah. And then you, I, and then you actually like you, you tax that now. So some revenue, even the government gets. Like right. that's how, mm-hmm. say tobacco. You know, that's exactly how it works. There's so many places where uh, that call for prohibition of tobacco or alcohol, but then the government just charges excise duty on it and like mm, taxes on tobacco, which they also make money out of. I can logically see it, but then where do you draw the line between poor governance and strategy? I don't know. We have to see how this works at the end of it. If you can't prevent illegal sand mining, but see that's the thing. That argument then can go. It can really go crazy. No, don't take it go crazy, na. Don't take it to like the some extreme, na. <laughs> don't give them ideas. Make it legal is a very oh, fair enough. No, this is not governance one hundred and one. I don't know, man. <laughs> so Fulla has a fave item. Let's focus. I I can't say that the fave item will make this section any better because. Okay, first, his uh, a short history lesson. There's a lot of lore around pharaohs in Egypt and their resting places. Uh, obviously, they were very sacred to the ancient Egyptians. And a popular lore around the pharaohs is that uh, over the last century, especially, is that there is a curse that will be cast upon anyone who disturbs the mummy of an ancient Egyptian, especially if it is a pharaoh. Apparently, the curse does not differentiate between thieves and archaeologists, and has been claimed to cause bad luck, illness, or death. And now to the fave item. It's going. Stay with me. It's not. It gets a little better. So the most notorious of these curses is the curse of the pharaoh Tutankhamun, whose tomb was opened to the media in February 1923. And there are at least five recorded deaths that are attributed to Tut's curse. Ranging from about six weeks after the tomb was opened to about sixteen years after the fact. But now a documentary is claiming that a Daily Mail journalist actually made up the curse. Arthur Weigel, who also conveniently happened to be an Egyptologist, was angry that he did not get an exclusive scoop about the tomb being opened, and it was given to Times UK instead. So he spread a rumor <laughs> that the you know. So people on the site were, uh, during the media day were joking about something uh, about going into the tomb and stuff. So he said that their cavalier attitudes was a sign of disrespect, which could trigger the curse. And obviously, it when it did come to pass, Weigel and other journalists who did not get this exclusive jumped on this angle. As for the first oh, yes. few deaths that occurred, they just happened to happen because they were in a tropical climate and a mosquito bit them. That oh, they they God. literally just got fevers from a mosquito bite, and that is how they died. But very conveniently, after in the timeline that we will predicted. This is such a great story, my God! <laughs> I love it. Doing sun sunny nice. khabar all the way back in 1923. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I Unhear that? Can I? <laughs> You're welcome. Good job. Thanks. 
and that was our show this week <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on press decode you can catch us every thursday on the ivm podcast network and guys please remember don't let the news give you the blues <laughs> <laughs>